This is it, guys, Jim Elliott said as the Piper Cub bounced onto the beach. He said, they're on their way. Lunch over, the men busied themselves, building a miniature jungle and model house there in the sand. Their intention was to demonstrate to the natives when they arrived how to build an airstrip should they be interested in having the white men and their families come and live among them. So then the five missionaries sang together as they often had spontaneously and joyously songs of praise to God, committing themselves and all their carefully laid plans to the God who had so unmistakably brought them this far in Ecuador. They waited for the Hirani Indians to arrive. By 4.30 that afternoon, the quiet waters of the Curare River flowed over the bodies of the five comrades slain by the men they had come to win for Christ. The world was horrified by their murders. The world called it a nightmare of tragedy. And as yet, the world did not recognize the power and the truth of Jim Elliot's credo. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Did you get that? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In time, those same Hirani Indians who killed Jim Elliot and his friends became Christians. Those same Hirani Indians who speared Elliot and the others to death decided that what Elliot died for is indeed worth living for. And some of the missionaries' wives and children moved into the Indian village and they began to teach them more about God. And soon all of those men who had killed those missionaries became followers of Jesus too. Jim Elliot, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Roger Udarian, and Pete Fleming had truly given up what they could not keep in order to gain what they could not lose. Jesus' view of life is upside down, isn't it? Christian began this series last week. He talked about the Beatitudes. The way you look at happiness is totally different in Jesus than it was before you met Jesus. His, his way is often so up down, upside down that we may literally have to stand on our heads to see what Jesus sees in life. Where did Jim Elliot get this idea that we can gain by losing? Where did he get the idea that if we try to save our life, we'll lose it? But if we lose it, for Jesus' sake, we will find a life we would never have known otherwise. I'll show you where he got this idea. It's in three of the Gospels. We're going to look at Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Mark eight thirty-four. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said... If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Save your life and lose it. Lose your life and save it. This is an upside-down economy that Jesus is living by, and he wants us to live by. Like an oxymoron, it just doesn't seem to make sense, and yet it does. In reality, it is the way things work in God's kingdom. 
The best return on your time and thought and energy is not to go around trying to take care of yourself. Not trying to please yourself and be comfortable and and satisfied that all the world is good for you. The best thing is to deny yourself and to put God first. And then the results of your life will be far greater than they ever would have been if you were doing what you want. This lifestyle Jesus promoted is countercultural, for sure. <laughs> this is not what the world teaches us. This is not the world encourages us to live by. This life runs counter to even the prevailing church culture in America, I dare say. A few years ago, Leadership Magazine ran a cartoon, had a picture of this beautiful church out in the countryside, and there was a big billboard in front of it to welcome everybody, and it was called the Light Church, L-I-T-E Church. This is a church where everything is light. We have 24% fewer commitments than other churches. This is the home of the 7.5% tithe, not 10 This is the place of 15-minute sermons, not 30. 45-minute worship services, not an hour and a half. We have only eight commandments. You choose which eight you like. Leave the other two out. We use just three spiritual laws. We have an 800-year millennium. (laughs) Everything you wanted in a church and less, it said on the sign. By contrast, here's what Jesus says. Lose your life and you'll save it. Save it for yourself, and you will lose whatever gain you thought you would get. Now, are we literally going to die when we lose our lives? Maybe, but probably not. Most of us will probably not die for our faith, but we will certainly be called to die to ourselves, to literally die to what we want. And how we might have chosen to live, we're not Jesus in charge of our lives now. Do you realize that Jesus himself won by losing? He won the greatest battle of all time by losing his life. His b- biggest victory came when he lost his life on the cross. Now, one of the, the basic strategies, best strategies of the military, is to fool the enemy. And the way they do that is they pre- pretend defeat early on. They engage him in battle. They start running away, and when the enemy follows them, then they turn back around and engage them again, and many times with great success. Remember Joshua and the Israelites, when they were going in to possess the promised land. We, we uh, learned about this in the story. And they went against the little city of Ai. Ai is how you spell that, so everybody knows Ai. And, and they were engaging them, but there was sin in the camp of the Israelites, and so they were defeated, even though God had promised a victory. And, and many of their people died. I think 36 men died. And so they ran from them. And they regrouped, and they asked God, what's going on? God says, there's sin you've got to deal with. So they dealt with the sin in the camp. Then they went back against the city of Ai. But this time, Joshua says, here's the plan. We're going to put part of the group behind the city. They won't even know they're there. And the rest of us will go up in front of the city and attack them like before. And when they come out to engage us in battle, we will run from them as we did before. And when they did that, the whole city emptied out. They all followed them out into the plains, leaving their city totally unprotected. Then the other army came in from behind, and they took care of all of the Aites that day. Just last week when I was up in Ligonier, Pennsylvania, I visited a fort there called Fort Ligonier. If you know the French and Indian War, you know about Fort Ligonier. This is a very important fort. 
There had already been another fort built where Pittsburgh is today, Fort Duquesne. And uh, the French had gotten a hold of that one. They were in charge of that one, and they couldn't drive them out. So what Forbes did was he went in and he built another fort at Fort Ligonier, about 40 miles east of that, and he cut off their supply line. He cut off their, their defense uh, mechanism there, and he built a massive British army at, Brit at uh, Fort Ligonier as an offensive weapon. I never thought of a fort as an offensive weapon before, but in this case it was, because what it does is it forced the French to leave Pittsburgh. Now, you may know that early on in the war, General Braddock and his British army was defeated so badly that you could only call it a massacre. Braddock died. It's a horrible, horrible time when the British tried to line up like they did in Europe, you know. They all lined up in files, and, and the French and the Indians, they hid behind the trees, and they just picked them off. It was like target practice for them. Well, another battle ensued, and George Washington was involved, and the same tactics, same strategy was employed that they acted like at first they were going to they were going to run they were going to retreat like the british had had to do before and when the indians and the french moved in on them then they turned back brought in more forces and they defeated them soundly jesus won by losing also he snatched victory from the jaws of defeat we say but in a much greater way than any army we are in a clash of cultures today a battle between the people of God and the enemies of God. The enemies of God are determined to win. They are aggressive. They have an aggressive agenda. We see it every day. We turn on our television. We listen to our radio. We read our newspapers, and we know the agenda is there. The three main battlefronts seem to be human sexuality and marriage, conception and the sanctity of life, and whether or not, at the base of it all, is Jesus the only way to salvation, or are there many ways? Battlefront is there, and we are engaged in this cultural war. How will we win this battle? With what weapons will we win it? What strategy will win the day? Well, we must use the same strategy as Jesus, and we must use the same weapons as Jesus. And it may not sound right. It may not seem like the best way to go, but it, in fact it is. Jesus used love, sacrifice, and service. And by loving people and serving them and sacrificing many things, we will win this battle and God will be glorified. These are the best offensive weapons we have and we will win by losing. Philippians 2 talks about Jesus. It talks about Jesus and his way of, of uh, giving up himself, denying himself. And Paul says in that letter, this should be your attitude. If it was the way Jesus did it, this is the way you should do it. Let's look at it together. Chapter 2 of Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he describes Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus had all power and majesty as the the Son of God, as the begotten Son of God. He was God. But he stripped himself of these things so that he could come to earth as a human being, and not only as a human being, but as a slave. And he served us by giving his life for us. It looked like he lost, but he won. He won at the cross by giving his life. His enemies were sure they had won. It appeared they had won. They were gloating. They were walking in front of him, mocking him, scorning him. But in three days, he had risen from the grave and he scored the greatest victory ever scored. Jesus won by losing. The way up is down. This all goes counter to the prevailing ideas in our world today. People don't want that. They want to be comfortable. People want to be satisfied. They want to have their needs met. They want to have their wants met. In most cases, people are only thinking of themselves. Paul says here in Philippians, don't think about yourself. Put others ahead of yourself. But that's not our world. I came across these comments that people made to a wilderness area. It's the Bridger Wilderness Area. And, and, you know, people went to the wilderness area and they should have known what to expect. But then they filled out their comment cards. These are literal comments people sent in to the forestry service. They said trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. What? Too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Please pave the trails. Chairlifts even need to be in some places so that we can get to wonderful views without having to hike to them. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. Someone else wrote in, a small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way I can get reimbursed? (laughs) Someone else said, escalators need to be installed up the steep uphill sections. Someone else said, there are too many rocks out there in your wilderness. And the ultimate, the clincher of it all, someone said, a McDonald's sure would be nice at the trailhead. There's a reward. You get up there for that vista. You get up there for that big sightseeing adventure. McDonald's should be there so you can eat your Big Mac while you're looking out there at God's beauty. These comments and these complaints simply indicate that the people who made them do not really understand what wilderness is. They didn't know why they were there and what it was about. And I wonder if in a similar way, many people today do not understand what it means to be a genuine Christian. There are multitudes that often follow Jesus or claim to be a Christian, but they do so on their own terms. And they complain when it's not comfortable enough. I wonder, are there people who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus who are not? I wonder, are there people who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus who are not, even though in many ways they look like followers of Jesus? They go to church. They profess faith in Jesus. They read their Bibles. They pray. They even put something in the offering plate most of the time when it comes in front of them. But they are not the real deal. 
or at least they are not living and thinking like the real deal yet. Hopefully they'll get there. So what is a follower of Jesus? What, what is a disciple of Jesus? A disciple is a true follower, an imitator of Jesus' every move. A disciple of Jesus lives as Jesus lived, who lives his upside-down life, serving other people, sacrificing for other people, loving other people. Jesus said in Luke 10.27, something like he said in Mark 8, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot not be my disciple. If you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up a cross. Jesus uses a metaphor there. The cross that everybody in his day would have understood. We don't see people hanging on crosses except maybe a crucifix in a church somewhere or maybe a painting of Jesus' crucifixion. But to literally walk down through town one day and here's the criminals that have been put on crosses for their crimes, and we see them hanging there still dead, day after day for a while, and the birds are picking at them. It's, it's something they would have understood. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to pick up a cross. And you're going to live a life of denial, and a life of sacrifice, much of the time. Everyone knew that what Jesus was saying, when you go to a cross, you're saying goodbye to everything else. And you're saying yes to God on how he wants you to live. Now, Jesus set the example. That's what Philippians says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who didn't consider his equality with God something to hold on to, but denied all that so that he could serve us even by giving his very life. Jesus denied himself the power, the position, the place that he had as the Son of God. He did something which was not only uncomfortable, but something that was painful, very painful, something that was dangerous, something that cost him his life because he cared so much. For Jesus, death was not just a possibility as it is for us as followers of Christ. It was guaranteed. That's why he came, to give his life. Why would he do that? Well, first of all, Philippians says he was obedient. He perfected that. If you want to know what obedience is, look at Jesus' life. He went and he lived exactly as his father told him to live. Secondly, it says that he wanted to please his father and accomplish his father's purpose. God had a purpose in mind and that was to save us. Thirdly, he did it because he loves us. Every last one of us. His action showed us that he loved us more than his own life. And we must love people more than we love ourselves and our own lives. So our question today is this. As we look at this upside down life, are we willing? That's the question. Are we willing? Are we willing to have our lifestyles altered because we are followers of Christ? Are we willing to make the moral choices we need to make? To live a life of purity and morality and integrity? Because we belong to Christ. Are we willing to make the time choices we need to make? Give up certain things that occupy our time so that there is time to devote to service and love and sacrifice for other people. Are we willing to give up everything? You know, I wonder, because recent polls show that those who call themselves Christians live pretty much like those who don't. If you look at these surveys and see they come out every once in a while, every few months someone else will do another one, 
and they'll say, how many divorces are there in the Christian group as opposed to divorces out in the rest of society? The numbers are the same. They ask the question, well, what about their lifestyle and, and, and how they do things? Uh, what do they spend their time doing? What shows do they watch? What movies do they go to? What music do they listen to? What do they buy? What do they partake of? Drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. Is there a difference between the Christians and the rest of society? Most of the polls come back and say, none. Minimal. This whole upside-down life is just thrown out the window for, by, by many Christians. Are we willing to give up everything for Christ? Are we willing to lose our lives to find out what God wants to do through us? You've got to give up. You've got to deny. You've got to set aside so much of your own agenda so that God's agenda can be lived out through your life. And when we do that, we are going to be amazed at what God will do, just through simple things. You know, I heard that in World War II, an Allied bombing raid had gone out over uh, Europe, and, and they had encountered a lot of heavy anti-aircraft uh, uh, that was, was thrown at them. And uh, they were struck many times, but they came back safely. And they landed back at the, the Allied Air Force base, and, and they said, we can't believe this. You know, the anti-aircraft, the Germans was hitting us constantly, but none of the shells seemed to explode. They just went in and, and stopped. And so specialists gingerly removed these shells from the plane, and they took them away to a safe place to examine them, to find out what was going on. And they discovered, surprisingly, there was no firing pins in these weapons. They struck the planes, but nothing ever happened because no firing pin set off the explosive charge inside. And instead of the firing pin, they found a little note, and it was written in Czechoslovakian. And apparently one of the slave workers that the Germans had forced to work in their factories had left out the firing pin and left a note instead. And the note said this, This is all we could do for now. We wish you could do more. <laughs> And we built the bomb, we built the weapon, but we left out the firing pin so you could be safe. We wish we could do more. Well, they were saving lives. Hundreds of lives by that little thing in the same way. God can take whatever little service you can offer. Maybe it's watching somebody's kids. Maybe it's cleaning somebody's house. Maybe it's, it's coming alongside them in their difficulties and just, just uh, showing compassion and empathy. Spending some time with them. Maybe it's serving people at a school like Westgate. We're all going to go there together in a couple weeks. Maybe it's doing yard work. Maybe it's painting something. It could be a, a ton of different things, but that little thing offered to God is a denial of yourself and an opportunity for God to show you can win by losing. We are the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill. We are the salt of the earth. So let the church be the church. Let this church be a church that God uses in a powerful way. And let us win by losing. Father, we ask for your blessing upon us. There is so much that goes at us that is an agenda, and a very aggressive agenda that is trying to force us to live as the world does, to just accept things as they are, uh, to say that anything goes. And yet you have placed us here 
not to wage war as we normally would, but to wage war in the things of the Spirit through sacrifice and service and love. And we win by losing. Help us, Lord, to be willing. Willing to uh, give up whatever we need to give. Because in the giving, we will gain what can never be lost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a time of